Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. So, last week was a bit of an extraordinary week for me. Um, I was nominated for a IBMA Momentum Award for the podcast, and so I went out to IBMA, um, and I won the award. And I'm so glad I went. I, well, my first reaction when I was nominated was like, it's a long way to go. Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. I'm not sure I should be doing that. And thankfully, various members of my family, including my wife, Katie, uh, my sister-in-law, Jane, talked me around. So thank you for doing that. Um, and said, go. You might never get to do this again. And I went. And I'm so glad I did. I saw some bands. I chatted some people, played some instruments, uh, accepted an award um and and i was there for the conference bit the sort of first half of the week i didn't stick around for the big music awards ceremony and the festival at the end because i had to get back for a friend's wedding but actually the conference bit it was an amazing experience for me sort of for the podcast and and as a fan maybe i would have enjoyed the end of the week but actually for the purposes i went for the beginning was great and I'm sure you've all seen photos and videos and all sorts from the awards ceremony and the festival and stuff, but I thought it'd be interested just to do something that shines a bit of a light on what goes on in the conference bit earlier in the week and a bit of a window into what that bit of IBMA week is all about. So I had a bit of a wander around while I was there. Um, I spent the first two days going to talks, workshops, seeing bands, meeting people, just kind of being there and soaking it all up. And then on the third day, I walked around with a mic in my hand, plugged into my phone and just did some quick interviews with a range of people. And I wanted to get a sense of what it's like being at IBMA for people who are there for different reasons, different sort of, you know, people who've been there before, people who haven't. And I wanted to share them with you. Um, it was an amazing experience for me. I'm sure lots of you have been to IBMA many times and know all about it. But I was just sort of floored by how amazing it is it feels like a family everybody says and it's absolutely true and I now feel like part of that family um, and it's an extraordinary thing and so here are a few of the interviews um, with the people that I met while I was there I'm going to kick off with an interview with a guitarist called Alex Graff who um, is from Durango in Colorado and I met Alex within probably about an hour of turning up on the first day um, and we got on, we hung out, we, you know, we sort of recognised each other from social media, um, Alex listened to the podcast a bit, uh, turns out he's a great guy and a great picker, but it was his first IBMA, and I was really keen to chat to him and find out sort of why he was there, you know, beyond just being a fan and being a player, what he was hoping to get out of the week and how it was going for him so far. So here is my interview with Alex Graff. My name is Alex Graff, I'm from Durango, Colorado, I'm a flat picker and amateur singer. <laughs> And this is your first. This is my first time at IBMA, and this is your first time here, right? Uh, that's that's correct. Yeah. And and have you slept so far? I actually got some decent sleep last night. Um, I I played the responsible card and went to bed by three a.m. Um, with anticipation of going to bed much later the the coming two nights. <laughs> so yeah, it's been great actually. And what? Um what was it that brought you here? What were you hoping to find? And has it been anything like you expected? I, yeah, I came to IBMA this year um, to really make connections with folks. Um, where I'm at in southwest Colorado, there's a lot of picking, um, but we're not as connected to the music scene, like literally uh, in terms of infrastructure. Uh, it takes a lot to get out here. And so um, there are a lot of folks who I've interacted with online um, or in other capacities but haven't really made personal connections and so really I, I've just come here to, to meet people, to connect with people, uh, to be in this community and um, participate in it a little bit more and that's exactly what's happened for the past 48, 36 hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you've managed to pick with a few people as well, yeah? Yeah, I've, I've gotten in a few picks. Um, pretty, pretty happy about the picks so far. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. And you were saying, we were chatting earlier and you were talking about, because um, you've got a great record out now called Sagebrush Continuum and you're kind of planning the next record and part of being here is the idea of assembling some people you might like to play with for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing who's available, seeing who might be interested in coming to Durango, Colorado. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but also just, you know, even beyond that, just trying to make some connections into the future and, um, yeah, but, but the record, the record could come together this week. <laughs> you never know. And this, at that point you said about, um, like, people you've made virtual connections with but not met. I've been walking around here all week and just people I've interviewed or people I've seen on social media, chat to in Facebook groups, they're all here and you turn around in the elevator and there's somebody that you recognize and it's a bit like walking through my social media feed and everybody's face is there in, in actual life and it's, it's like, it's astonishing really, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a trip. I mean, social media is what it is. It's kind of like a necessary evil. I mean, um, you just got to do it and every once in a while there's there's some sort of connection that happens and um, here it, it happens in the elevator uh, yeah just bumping into folks um, I feel like I went into like this this other world vortex like within the first 15 minutes of just bumping into people and I was like oh my god this is this is completely real this isn't just on my phone uh, you know in my imagination this community is so strong and so supportive and everyone's right here so it's yeah <laughs> exactly I mean exactly that we were in the same room last night um, you were in the room watching East Nash Grass and I was kind of in the corridor trying to get my head in the room to watch East Nash Grass and I turned around and then there was David Greer and like everybody I talked to has that kind of story it's just everybody is everywhere yeah every, yep and we're all just bumping into each other and maybe picking all the way up too yeah. and you were saying about how supportive everybody is and that's like one of the incredible things we bumped into Jake Eddy last night we both chatted to before and he like on the face of it is one of the busiest people in the world and he has time for everybody he's such a sweet guy yeah I am so happy to have bumped into Jake um, I mean his flat picking is a little intimidating um, and as a human he is just the kindest sweetest person and so welcoming and has just like you said has time for everybody and really that's that's kind of my experience with everybody who i've met for the first time here um it's a really special thing yeah it's great i'm loving it i'm, I'm flying out tonight but i've had just the most amazing few days um like enjoy the rest of the week it's been really cool getting to meet you thanks so much matt great to meet you too Next up, I chatted to Fred from Stillhouse Junkies. Um, they're not a band I was particularly familiar with before IVMA, but over the space of three days, I think I saw like at least part of four of the, four of their sets, and they they were great. Really enjoyed them. Uh, it turns out they knew Alex. They're from the same bit of Colorado, and yeah, just they they won the IVMA Momentum Band Award a couple of years ago, and so I was just keen to talk to talk to them about, you know, their, their experience of coming to IBMA as a band because I, you, the bands play, particularly the showcases, some of the bands work incredibly hard. They play a set, they pack up, they go somewhere else, they're, you know, down the corridor the next day. They, they're all over the place. And I was really keen to understand what that experience is like um, for them because they come to IBMA to network and meet people and, and see people and get the name out. And I hadn't appreciated just how hard they work. And so, yeah, here is Fred from Stillhouse Junkies. My name is Fred Kozak, and uh, I play with Stillhouse Junkies from Durango, Colorado. Uh, I've seen you guys maybe four times over the space for about 36 hours, which is cool. And I, one of the things I hadn't realized coming here is just how hard some of the bands work. You get a lot of, a lot of work to do in a couple of days. How's that go? It's, I think, you know, knowing what we're heading into now that we've been here a few times helps, but it's, it's kind of controlled chaos, and from the band standpoint, you only have control over so much of it so we're every showcase that you walk in and kind of see what their setup is and we had a one thing last night where we played into to wedges on the stage you know normally we have in-ear monitors we haven't played into wedges in four years we're like okay we'll see how this goes and you know other things were totally acoustic other things were single mic you know two two condenser mics so it's keeps you on your toes but i think as long as you kind of expect that and aren't trying to trying to be too uh, picky about any of it just roll with things it's really fun and you get into the flow and, and you guys won momentum band of the year a couple of years ago here so you've got a bit of experience coming back what is it like as a band what do you get out of ibma what's the what's the main pull other than like hanging around and picking with people like what does it do for you as a band I think just like anybody else would probably say it's it's a really amazing networking opportunity um, not just for you know handing out business cards but but also um, running into bands from different regions that we maybe want to to play in or um, we've, we've we've come out of IBMA with a lot of 
business relationships and also just just getting in front of people so they recognize you and and kind of remember who you are and that's it's a good chance to to do what would probably take five years to do otherwise you could do it all in the same room you know half the time and everybody's really open to everyone's here for the same reason so you don't feel bad about approaching people which is that's always kind of a nice it, it, it cuts out the the awkwardness of of you know walking up to somebody and trying to you know hand them a business card out of the blue everyone's expecting it so that's what we've definitely gotten a lot out of that in terms of our the business side of the band in terms of gigs um, but mainly just like connecting with people from all over the country and world and a lot of those relationships have grown outside of IBMA into into friendships and it's been really special and you guys are from Durango Colorado I was talking to Alex Graff earlier who's from there and he was saying one of the joys of being here is that even though you're in Colorado you're a little bit out of out of the way there and so just being around this many people in one place is a godsend yeah Durango has its own music scene and there's a lot happening there but we are six and a half hours from Denver we're four hours from Albuquerque it's a it's a small it's a small town and you can only do so much when you're out in the middle of the mountains and um, to be somewhere like this that just collects everybody from places like that and dumps them all in one spot, it saves you a lot of uh, the hassle of trying to, to find those people. And we've met people from Colorado that we had never run into at IBMA that we now are friends with back in Colorado. So um, it's really helped with that that part of things. Uh, being based where we are, we, we don't get to do this kind of networking very often. So. And like being from sort of outside of this scene, one of the things that's really struck me is how collaborative it is. And like you see people's names crop up on each other's records, producing each other's records, playing each other's records. And like just walking around the rooms here and seeing people clearly who haven't seen each other since this time last year greet each other like family. And it's, it's an awesome thing to see. I have never seen any any uh, hint of any kind of competitiveness in, in bluegrass. And I haven't... Uh, I can't speak to other genres and scenes, but it's it's really very supportive and encouraging, and um, the approachability, especially of the, the the real big shots, like the you know your musical heroes, you can walk up to them, and and sometimes they maybe have heard of your band, and you, you know to have those connections. Um, is maybe not unique to bluegrass, but that's definitely a big part of the scene. And IBMA is the most obvious example of that. Everybody's uh, very open and receptive, and uh, we all uh, only stand to gain from from helping each other out, um, however we can. And everybody seems to understand that. So there's a real feeling of camaraderie and kind of mutual uh, support and encouragement. And, yeah, you get a real sense that because so many fans of bluegrass are pickers anyway, that there's a, such a, like, hardly any divide between the audience and the performers, and there's, like, it's not us and them, it's just, it all feels like all us. Right, I don't think, you know, you look at the, the board members of IBMA, you look at the, at the people running it, they all play music, they've, in some cases, have had long careers, and, uh, that, that really, um, is reflected in the way the event is run, and, the vibe, I think, is really obviously it's put on by people who understand the scene and and love the music, and that's why they're there. And there's no, uh, there's not really like a a money element to it that that you don't really get the sense that it's about anything other than uh, the music and the bands and the, everything we've been talking about, the networking. And that was a cool thing. My first live music here was. Tuesday night sort of launch party at the Lincoln Theatre special consensus you guys were up with them and they invited up the interim you know kind of head of IBMA and the next one so you've got the two people in charge of running what's going on in bluegrass just getting up with their banjos and joining in you know yeah and they're both very good players and they're not it's not even like a novelty thing they, they definitely like are get around just fine it's pretty cool to see i think uh it would be cool if more uh, organizations followed that model i think you know it, it makes a lot of sense and yeah when an organization is run by people who like are in the shoes of the people they're trying to look after there's there's no kind of miscommunication because they know what it feels like to be on the side of it so yeah totally um enjoy the rest of the week it's been great chatting to you and i've loved seeing you guys play Thanks so much. We appreciate the, the chance to get to talk, and uh, congratulations on the award. It's well-deserved. Thanks so much.
Next up is Daniel Patrick from the Mandolins and Beer podcast. Um, one of the cool things about being at IBMA was bumping into some other podcasters. Um, podcasting is all, like particularly for all your interviews, like mine are remote. Um, okay, it's quite a strange thing. You sit in your house recording these interviews with people, and you have the video calls, and there's real connection, and it's like it's amazing. But then you sort of put them out into the world, and you've not really interacted with people. Um, and so it was great for me to wander around IBMA and be stopped by people saying, hey, I listen to your podcast. Um, but it was also really cool for me to meet some of the people whose podcasts I listen to. So like, I got to talk to Daniel from Mandolins and Beer. Um, I got to talk to Keith from Picky Fingers. I got to talk to the guys from the Basic Folk Podcast and Walls of Time. And um, you know, there's so many good podcasts out there. And it was fun getting to chat to them as well. Um, Daniel is obviously a musician and a podcaster and so it was cool chatting to him about how that all works and we got off on a little bit of a sidebar about how musicians get paid these days which is really interesting because you know that's one of the themes of an event like IBMA there's so much music there's so much talent there's so much content um, and one of the challenges for musicians these days is how they turn that into a living and we sort of touched on that a bit which is Really interesting, but yeah, really enjoyed chatting to Daniel. Here is my chat with Daniel from Mandolins and Beer. Hey, my name is Daniel Patrick. I host the Mandolins and Beer podcast. Uh, I live in Charleston, South Carolina. Here at IBMA for the uh, this is the third year in a row I've done it, and uh, I love it. And it's what it's great for me is I do a lot of my interviews, probably similar to you do, um, with you being in England. I do a lot of phone interviews. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and it's not necessarily the the tour stop. Of every, you know, a lot of people go Atlanta to North Carolina and go right by it. So I do a lot of the podcasting. So this is great for me because I get to meet in person the people that I've interviewed. And then I get to meet people who are fans of the podcast. And it's like, it's like it's literally changed my life having this podcast. As you can kind of imagine, congratulations, by the way. I mean, just a well deserved. It's beautiful to see a podcaster win an award like this and what you're doing it's just so important I think you know and and to meet the people and you realize how this is possible when you meet the people you've interviewed and they're as genuinely nice as you could ever imagine and I've become friends with people that you would never you know you'd have told me I'd be hanging out with Sam Bush at a festival and just and him coming up and giving me a hug when he sees me if you'd have told me I'd have never believed that and it's this genre of music and stuff like this, this is why it's so successful because it really is like a of the people vibe. Like you can walk around and see anybody and they'll talk to you, they'll play your instruments. So it's, it's amazing. And you can definitely count me as one of those fans of your podcast. It's, and it's really cool to meet you. And it's, but it's exactly like you say, just all these people you've, you feel you know because you've interacted with on social media or even people like we've talked to for an hour on a video call. Exactly. But then you see them in, in the flesh and those connections really sort of bed in then, don't they? And you feel like these are people you know. Absolutely. You know, and like, you know, last year I got to jam with Sierra Hall and Wyatt Ellis and uh, Missy Raines and Jake Workman and Michael Cleveland. And it's just like... It's insane to me to even think that that would be a possibility. And not that I'm anywhere putting myself in that level of playing category, you know what I mean? But it's just amazing that you can just walk into a jam like that. And it's, it's what it's, this is what this music's about, and it's been about since the day it started. It started with people jamming and picking, and like this, this festival embodies that whole vibe, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And that, you were saying about doing real interviews, and I think since like the pandemic maybe some particularly some of the older musicians who might not have been comfortable doing a video interview before are comfortable doing them now and that's all great but just face to face so we've interacted on social media we've liked each other's posts commented on stuff but within two minutes of talking just now I've realised you'd be the perfect guest for an episode I've got coming up oh, and like, and we get to do this chat and you just tell me about your new record and all those little bits that like I wouldn't have known from six months of like you know ticking things and liking things and adding a comment here and there so it's just it's an amazing experience isn't it yeah and it's great to meet you I mean again like it's it's cool like I get to hear your voice on your podcast and like you know see your posts but to get you to get to meet you in person and just realize again it's just like it's just another cool person who loves the same stuff I love and just wants to like it's such a niche this genre you know what I mean like as successful as like our podcasts are like it's funny to be like, I'll be like, oh, man, I got like a million downloads. And my mom will be like, oh, who'd you have on? And I'll be like, oh, it's David Christman's going to be on again. And she's like, no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, but it's like to, to this world, though, that's like, I mean, that's like, 
you know, think of whatever the top, you know, it's like the, whatever your favorite podcast is that isn't music, and then figure the top person in that world being that, you know, taking the time to talk to you about what you love. Yeah, yeah, like back at home in the UK, my, my friends are all delighted for me, and they know that I'm, like, achieving something that I want to achieve. But I say I'm really excited, and they go, who have you been talking to? I say, I've just talked to Dan Tominsky, or I've just talked to Sierra Hull, and they'll go, I don't know who that is, I'm really sorry. Right. I had to tell my mom, when I told her Dan Tominsky was the voice of George Clooney on uh, Oh Brother, I thought it was the first time where I was, she was like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, registered at that point, like, oh, that's, that's a very big person, you know, but she's... You know, she doesn't listen to bluegrass or anything like that. But again, like, none of that mattered to me when I started the podcast. Like, legitimately, I started playing music full-time. I had all this free time. And, like, two things I thought of was, like, what do I do now with all this free time to not waste X amount of hours a day between sitting around and going to play gigs? And what do my favorite players do with that time? And then I'm like, maybe other people would want to listen to that. I'm like, you know what? I love mandolin, so I'm just going to do it. People listen awesome, and if they don't, it's just I'll talk to my favorite players and pick their brains. And then, just by the stroke of uh, good luck, it's you know, listened to by more people than I would ever imagine. Now it's mind blowing. And that's the cool thing. I think once people realize that you're, they feel like you're contributing something to a world they care about. Like you're not there to take something. You're not there. Like you're there to actually contribute something that other people like. And so you know, I just interviewed David Greer for something that's coming out soon. And, but we're not talking about him, we're talking about Clarence White. And like, as soon as people realize you're talking about things they care about, they're just open right up to you, don't they? Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. And like, you know, like, I believe when I talk with Doug, I think we're going to do it just on his experience with Doc Watson and Lloyd Lloyd's both turned 100 this year. So that's kind of the thing. And it's just like the beautiful thing about this is what we're doing, you know, is going to live on forever. Like it's out there in the world forever. And so it's like a small... It's, it's you know it's such a traditional thing and we've kind of gotten it's going to be in the ether forever so at some point somebody's going to get a, a mandolin or a guitar and be like I want to li- who you know wanna listen to Mike Marshall or, and they're going to be able to find what we've done in a hundred years you know and it'll hopefully live on forever and just keep the mandolin or bluegrass in general in people's minds you know and they'll always be able to find it and know and hear from the legends because the other thing our legends are they're not young you know I mean we lost Jesse and Bobby Osborne in like what a week of each other that's so glad I got to talk to Bobby Osborne you know and unfortunately Jesse was too sick at that point to do an interview but people want to listen to Bobby Osborne's voice and talk about this stuff it's out there and it's free it's just out there and I, that, I, that just makes me happy to be able to like give feel like I'm giving something back to something I love so much yeah totally I interviewed Happy Tram from Homespun a year or so ago and he said he was very conscious in the six, even in the 60s and 70s that a big part of what they were doing wasn't just educating it was documenting so you look back on those videos of like Bill Monroe Doc Watson Tony Rice like, and they are documents of that time and those people and how music was played and taught yeah absolutely I love it and again it's like it's such a bummer too like they're starting to digitize some of those things some of the homespun things but like you know like dvd players and cd players they don't exist anymore like people have given me cds and they got it but like i'm like i can't even listen to this now until i get home and plug in a cd burner thing into my computer so i can digitize it you know and it's just it's it's a, i feel bad for like musicians like you know when i was younger like there was still the possibility of still sell records and and make a living and that's why I really push one of the biggest things I push when I have anybody on is just like if you like this person's music go to Bandcamp and just buy spend the $10 because if I I heard John Mayer say one time and again we're talking huge millions of people to thousands of people but even John Mayer's like if everybody just bought every fan who followed me on Instagram bought one album the three years I put it out it would change my life even more it's the same for these artists, these bluegrass artists. You know, if there's a thousand people spend ten dollars on Bandcamp on a Bandcamp Friday, it's ten thousand dollars that goes to uh, your favorite artist, and that's a huge amount of money in this in this world. You know, and it's just it's it's tough. That they're just trying to the only way they can really make a living is on the road. So I'm just trying to get people to buy merch, buy that CD, buy the download, and. You know, it might might not seem like much, but they'd be surprised at how much it really helps an artist, though, you know. 
Yeah, and if we want stuff, we have to be prepared to pay. It's like, I just bought a CD player again. I got rid of all my CDs. Like, and I just bought one again three weeks ago because I miss, not only do I miss the physical thing and the liner notes and like, like an album like, I don't know, Tone Poems or Bluegrass Mandolin Extravaganza, you want to know who's doing what on what and you want to read the stuff. But also that thing of like, I now want to buy CDs by new bands so they get some money for me rather than gain you know a, a cent a decade from streaming services exactly and that's the thing is like and uh, you know all the artists are great about like uh, just even if people listen to it and stream it but you know it's it is pretty sad I, and I'm guilty as anybody I mean I have a Spotify account I have an Apple Music account just because you know like you said it's just I've already owned the albums you know it's just easier if I'm in my car driving 10 hours to say you know hey Siri play you know Bark at the Moon yeah, I already bought it, so I feel it. But it's just like, it's it's weird to see a guy that runs Spotify be a billionaire and make a billion dollars off of other people's work. And it's just like, I can see where, like, you know, bands are on big labels. The labels didn't negotiate that. But the little guy didn't negotiate that, you know. But they did agree to put it on. It's it's really, it's, it's, it's a weird state of affairs, and I'd, I'd love for it to, you know... I still buy UCDs too all the time. It's my favorite thing in a new town. I find a used bookstore, a UCD store, and like, because a lot of these, a lot of, again, like, there's like so many albums our heroes did for like multiple things that have been long out of print. And you just find some cool old stuff you've never even realized existed. And you're like, oh, wow. And so I always buy, I mean, I probably 100 bucks a trip on just UCDs and books, you know, so. And that's the uh, sort of overlaps the podcast thing is that we're in an age where people are expected to put content out and then work out, you spread it to like, create an audience and then work out how to monetize that and it's you know and so that means that people like you people like me but also all of these bands are doing it because they love it and they're never going to not do it but it just makes that they have to spend time thinking about how they're going to sustain that exactly and when, and i'll give you a really great example of um what what makes it really tough to you is so in charleston where i live there's a place called the poor house it's a great venue but you know all these artists have to you know pretty much you make their living on door ticket sales you know, and uh, I just remember, like, Billy Strings is huge now. Billy Strings has always been as good as Billy Strings is. Like, he's never been not good. He's always been amazing. But, I mean, I saw Billy Strings at the poorhouse in front of, like, 20 people. I mean, he made $100 for him and three dudes that night. You know, and that's Billy Strings. So imagine your favorite band that's not Billy Strings right now. Or, you know, I mean... A bunch of some killer talented bands in this room are traveling and scratching it out and they're they're playing gigs where they make a hundred dollars and it's basically enough for food and gas for them to get to the next place to try and do this so it's just like that merch and those little things man it's just such it's it, ma- it means a lot and i think people forget that because it's just so easy to be like oh i'll listen to the new thing on spotify but you know even if you're not gonna listen to the download and still still on Spotify, you know, if you want to buy the new East Nash grass, I'm sure it would be awesome to go spend $10. It's two coffees. It's two Starbucks. You know, that's, that's you know, make coffee at home for two days. <laughs> you know, and, you know, do it that route, so. Yeah, totally. And I think that's one of the cool things about, um, about your podcast is you interview some of the greats of the mandolin world, but there's also some great up-and-coming interviews, and it's helping get that word out for some of these people, and that's a big part of what we do, I think. I think so, too, and that's like, people are how do you pick and I'm like I really I don't care if they're a mandolin player out there playing mandolin and that's what they do I just want to talk to them you know um, because even people who think like you know like it blows my mind to have a guy like Danny Roberts who's an absolute legend in the bluegrass world like you know if you, if you listen to bluegrass you know the grass goes you know and you know Danny Roberts but for him to come to the booth yesterday I haven't met him in person like at, since I've interviewed him he came over and he's like, I just can't thank you enough. I have had more emails and more texts and gotten more repair work. He's like, it blew my mind how many people reached out to me after your podcast. And that blows my mind because I just assume everybody knows who Danny Roberts is. But there's, and, and so there's, you know, a hundred guys like Danny Roberts out there that I can talk to about that. And it just makes me happy to be like, ah, I feel fulfilled to hear that, you know? So. Yeah, and um, as much as the people listening, it's great to get that good feedback from the guests as well. Um, and I love what you do. Keep doing it. It's been really cool to meet you. Yeah, you too, man. I always love enjoying, uh, and I love your voice. you got such a great voice too, so it's a great, like, I love listening to your uh, podcast post-gig because, like, it's interesting and relaxing drive home after playing a gig, so it's always one of my favorites to pull up whenever something new comes up and I'm driving home. I'm like, boom, Blue Gas Jam along. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah.
Next up, I'm going to talk to a couple of people who um, are no strangers to IBMA, but are here in different capacity. Daniel was obviously here in capacity as a musician, but also primarily as a podcaster for IBMA. Um, and I'm going to talk to a couple of people. First up is Frank Sullivan, um, who we all know is a great musician, great singer, but he is here at IBMA this year with his uh, relatively new company, Tone Slabs, making boutique guitar picks. And I grabbed him, he was incredibly busy, so many people wanted to talk to him, but he gave me a couple of minutes just to chat about his experience of, of coming um, with the business as opposed to coming as a musician. Um, and it was great to, great to talk to him. And I got to hear him sing sing in person for the first time as well at one of the Tuesday night kickoff shows, which was amazing. He's got such a cool voice. Um, but yeah, here is Frank Sullivan from Turnslabs. Hey there, my name is Frank Sullivan of Frank Sullivan and Dirty Kitchen, but also with my partner David Welch, we have a company called Tone Slabs, and we make high-end boutique uh, guitar and mandolin picks and working on actually a thumb pick at the moment to hit the market sometime within the next year or so. And it's really cool, you guys are a pretty new company, and this is your first year having, like, you must have been to IBMA a bunch of times in a different capacity, but how's it being here and having a stand and talking to people as a business? Wow, okay, yeah, so I've been coming to this conference, uh, I think I've missed one uh, because of work, uh, I used to play with the Navy Band, I wasn't able to uh, make one of these since 1995, and I've missed two, and one of them was because of the pandemic, uh, so I've been coming for a long time, yeah, and... Uh, Man, I tell you, I come every year, and it's like old home week, family reunion. I'm sure you've heard that already a bunch. But it's true. It's where everybody in the industry can come together, talk about what needs to happen, where we're going, how to increase uh, more revenue for everybody, and how to get bluegrass on the map on a more global scale. And what's the response been like, uh, kind of being here with the picks? And, you know, because so, I see so much of your stuff online and social media. I see so many players using them. What's it like actually getting them in people's hands again to talk to them? Well, it's really fun to see somebody playing just, a, you know, say a regular guitar pick or some other company or whatever, and then they come to play ours. And the look on their face typically says it all. They're like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, what is this sorcery, you know? <laughs> so it's fun to, to see everybody kind of change uh, change. Maybe not change what they uh, have been doing, but at least recognize a difference in uh, in a sound of the thing that connects the human to the instrument. And that is like that's so it's it's funny. There's so many kinds of music where those little bits of gear don't really matter, and like flat picking, it matters, right? Oh, it's everything. Yeah, you, if you have a really floppy pick or something that isn't very dense, uh, I mean, a good musician is going to make anything sound good. But why just sound good, you know? Why, why wouldn't you want to sound better than that, you know? So that's that's in our name, Tone Slab. So that's our whole goal is is to make a, a pick that sounds really good. Great. Really cool to talk to you. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. And next up is somebody who's pretty familiar to all of us. Um, he's been on the podcast a few times before. It is Marcel Ardans from The Lessons with Marcel YouTube channel. Um, I'm sure you all know Marcel. Um, but he is at IBMA this year in a slightly different capacity. This year he is IBMA's artist at residence. And so he has been invited there to work, to interview people. He's set up and filmed there. Um, so he's also having a, a very different experience of his time at IBMA. And I wanted to chat to him about that. So here is Marcel Ardans. I couldn't leave IBMA without having a quick chat with Marcel Ardans, who I'm sure you all know I've talked to a couple of times before. Marcel is here this week as artist in residence. How has your week been so far? It's been maybe my busiest IVMA yet. <laughs> they got me. Uh, they got me my own room to shoot all the videos I want, and uh, we're running a guitar contest. Where I think I'm going to be pulled up on stage at the big amphitheater on, on Saturday. There's, I, I can't even tell you everything that's going on. It's too much. And it's, it's cool. I mean, like just seeing a YouTube platform kind of promoted and celebrated in this way and you've been asked to do this it's like a, they, there seems to be a real drive from IBMA to try and embrace the things they're going to take this music forward and I think you've, you've played a huge role in that but it feels like a really conscious thing doesn't it oh definitely definitely um, and I, I think that maybe to my, my benefit here my channel has grown while they've made that uh, while they've drawn that conclusion because I think I've been coming to IBMA for maybe four years or five years and the very first year I came, I don't think anyone recognized me. And after that, I've been shaking hands, taking photos, all the normal things. And uh, yeah, IBMA has sort of 
uh, you know, become aware of this thing. And this year, in working with them, it's amazing how much of the staff already knows who I am and is familiar with the channel. Uh, because I certainly wouldn't expect that of them. I, I don't expect anyone to watch my channel, to be honest. But it's, it's great to know that they are watching and they do care. And of course, we just did an entire uh, panel, just us YouTubers, uh, which is uh, myself, Eli Gilbert, David Benedict, and Hillary Klug as well. So it was, um, it was great to be included. I, I can't believe they gave us a panel, too. Yeah, it's really cool. And just like from my perspective, I've said this to a few people now, but walking around like the hotels and the venues and because there is so much bluegrass on social media and it's so easy to see what's going on I almost feel like I'm walking around a live Instagram feed there's so many people that I recognise some of them I've spoken to before so I sort of know them some of them are just faces that crop up on my feed and I turn around and they're there in the elevator or you know and it's it's really cool it's making bluegrass really visible amongst particularly younger people yeah, it's, um, I mean, this is the event to go to all year. You definitely got to come here. And, and really, every bluegrass musician, uh, you know, tries to come out here. You know, anyone with some kind of following, you know, people take breaks from their tours. Everyone's trying to come out here to see the award show and do the thing. And unlike other communities, everyone's accessible. When you're walking around, you can run into anyone. Um, I ran into Ricky Skaggs one year. Ricky Skaggs, of all people, he feels kind of untouchable to me. And um, I just saw him. We took a photo. Isn't that insane? Yeah, like two minutes ago, I just come from downstairs and got a photo with John McEwen from Little Gritty Dirt Band. And he just wandered around. And I think he was keen to not talk to me because there was a little kid playing banjo. And he wanted to go and listen to the little kid play banjo. And it's incredible. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, and I, uh, it's, it's funny to be here as a YouTube personality as well because there's lots of people who would like to talk to me, but I'm in the same boat. You know, I see someone that I'm a fan of and I want to go talk to them. So every, it's just a big playground. Everyone's excited to meet everyone over here. And that's the, the gorgeous thing about just watching this unfold for my first time is just seeing how few boundaries there are actually. Everybody is just here for the same thing. Some of them might be better known than others, but everybody just seems to be in the same boat. Yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, maybe we'll even still be friends after the award show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just seeing people greet each other, we obviously saw each other, each other here last year and haven't seen each other since. It feels like a family reunion in a way, you know, and it's really cool to see. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I, I've even ran into a couple people here that I've only met once or twice, maybe at IBMA, you know, several years ago or at some other unrelated event. And, yeah, everyone remembers you. Everyone's, you know, just <laughs> ready to get in and continue hanging out like no time has passed at all. And I felt so welcomed, like just people walking up and, you know, I, I'm, as we've said before, just some random British guy. But, uh, <laughs> like, you know, people come out there make you feel so welcome. It's cool. Um, I know you're busy. I'm going to let you go, but it's, I couldn't leave without speaking to you. Um, let me just say one more thing on behalf of the bluegrass community, and I said this to you before, you're not just some random British guy, you're our random British guy. That's what it should have said on the award, right? <laughs> <laughs> so nice to see you again. Take it easy. Yeah. Next up, I chatted to Hilary Kluke, who loads of you will know um, as a musician, um, lots of... Uh, kind of content from YouTube, Instagram, places like that of her playing and dancing. It's gone viral. She's had a huge following. Um, and I bumped into her and I sort of wanted to ask about that because one of the themes that's come out of the conversations I had and some of that you'll have heard on here is just this idea that for me, being at Ivy May for the first time, it's a bit like wandering around my social media feeds and seeing all these faces that I sort of, you know, quote unquote, know but obviously don't know. And some of them I've spoken to for the podcast, so I know them a bit better. But, you know, you can get in a lift in the hotel and suddenly there's somebody there who you're incredibly familiar with from their music, from their content. And particularly things like Instagram are pretty um, they're pretty intimate. You get to see people close up in their lives as well as their careers. And I sort of wanted, I was very keen to talk to Hillary about how that had changed her experience of coming to IBMA over the years as she becomes more and more visible. Um, and yeah, it was really, it was fascinating talking to her. Um, I really enjoyed it. And here is what Hillary had to say. It's great to meet you. Um, I've been at IBMA for three days. It's my first time here. And my experience of it is like, I walk around, I know your face. I've followed your Instagram. I've seen your content. And it's like walking through like a live Instagram feed. And I'm really curious to know from your point of view of like whether your experience of IBMA has changed over the years now you've become so visible to people. Yes, yes. My uh, first time here at the IBMA in Raleigh, um, I, it was actually one of my first few viral videos um, 
was coincided with that trip. And so I had my video that eventually got like 63 million views, which is like my biggest video, actually happened the week that I came to my first Raleigh IBMA. And so I actually, there were a few people who saw me and they were like, oh, I saw your video. And that was like the first time I really got a lot of that. And so it was like, whoa, this is crazy. But and then, and then, I, like my Facebook was blowing up, and even during the awards luncheon, or the, maybe it was a keynote luncheon, the uh, the announcer, the MC, said, "Oh yeah, our Facebook has like ninety-five thousand followers," and I'm like, look down at mine, and it has like you know hundreds of thousands, and I'm like, wow, I'm bigger than IBM. Hey, that's wow. <laughs> so, as I've come over the years to IBMA. My experience has changed. Of course, the first year here in Raleigh, I met a lot of people in the industry. I met a lot of artists, a lot of my peers. And unfortunately, I'm not the best with names. And when you meet uh, hundreds of people in one week, um, of course, you remember the faces. Well, I do. I remember the faces, but I don't always remember the names. I, you know, I have, you know, lots of things going on in my brain at once. I'm great at multitasking, but I'm not the best at remembering names. So then the next year I came back and then there's like all these faces, all these people who know me because I met them, but I know I met them and I remember what we talked about or like what, you know, what part of the industry they come from, but, but I don't necessarily remember their name. I remember my peers' faces, but I don't necessarily remember their names, so it's kind of embarrassing. So this year I actually developed this new strategy for the new people that I meet. If I don't know, I mean, if I don't know them, I'm meeting them, I don't know their name. In order to remember their name, I've just taken a picture of their faces and their car, their name tags so that I can go home and review tonight as homework to kind of like remember their names for next year. Maybe I'm like going to go back through all these pictures before I come back to IBMA next year. That way I'm going to have their names and faces. But on top of like the people who I've met and then I've maybe forgot their names, then there's like a whole other crazy uh, number of people who know who I am, but I don't necessarily know who they are because they've seen me on social media. And I don't know how many people know who I am, but maybe I'd I've never met them before, and it's kind of crazy to think about, like, people are watching me, but it, there's been a couple times this week where people have, like, observed me out in the wild in my natural element, and then they come back and give me feedback about, wow, that was so funny watching you, you know, I was, during the uh, Matt Glaser's uh, keynote speech, I, apparently I was like kind of dancing around whenever he would like play a little uh, sound bite, and I was like dancing around too, because it's like a song that I love, or that I... It, 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 I just can't sit still listening to music and then people behind me are like, ah, oh, Hillary, that was so entertaining watching you watch Matt Glazer and listen to the sound bites because you're just dancing around in your seat. But then um, the next night I was watching a showcase for my friend Willow Osborne and her, um, her partner Jesse uh, Eats. And I've never seen them dance together, although I've like heard like... I, they didn't dance together. They played banjo together. But I've never heard them play together. But I got to see them for the first time. And it was, like, so incredible, the dynamic. And I was just, you know, I knew they were incredible banjo players, but my mind was just blown. And I was just, my jaw dropped. And, like, the more they perform, the more, like, my mind is just exploding at the craziness of this performance. But somebody's, like, filming my reaction. And... It's so crazy to like that people think my the way I act out in the wild is just interesting. <laughs> but I guess it's just people who know who I am and they think I'm a interesting person to watch. I, I guess. I mean, that sounds narcissistic. I'm not an interesting person to watch, y'all. <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it? Because like so much of what's going on on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and wherever is like getting this music out to a whole generation of people who connect with it. But because you're on somebody's phone, it's quite a personal thing. Yeah. So but they think they so do know you. Cool. That my experience here, knowing people, of course, you know who these people are. Um, and they don't necessarily know who you are. I know who, like, you know, I'm walking around seeing, you know, some of my heroes who are now, like, some of my peers. And out in the wild, like, if I'm at Whole Foods in Knoxville and I see Sarah DeRose, I might be a little bit surprised and I might fangirl a little bit. But, like, here, like, you just have to approach it with a level of coolness. Like, yeah, you're going to see, like, you know, the biggest names of bluegrass here, but you just got to be cool. Just got to be cool. Like, last night... 
you know, Sarah Farrell is like walking around in the hall, but you just got to be cool because she's like awesome and, and just don't have a meltdown and be a fangirl. Just be cool. Even though on the inside, you're jumping up and down, screaming on the outside, just be, just be cool. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying because I've, you know, I come here and suddenly I've seen dozens of people that I only interact with through my phone and like all these bands that but also if you've never been here you just have to come here to experience like it's so crazy like all of your biggest bluegrass heroes are just walking around and you can like approach them and talk and and that's what's cool about me being here is like I have all these people who know who I am who you know I've never met them before but they can come up and you know approach me I'm very approachable like they can come and say hi and like maybe tell me about some personal experience that they had with one of my videos or like tell me you know oh I saw your videos and it inspired this or it inspired that it, it was very uplifting or I started you know I've met a number of people who were uplifted by my videos during the pandemic but I've also met a number of children who started like playing because they were inspired by one of my videos or you know I have another of people who just enjoy watching them and they'll come and tell me and I like really appreciate that it's super fun to get that feedback here <laughs> yeah yeah it's an amazing place to be and just to see all that going on and to see how kind of undivided it is and that everybody is a fan and everybody is a, like because most of the people here are musicians in some form so everybody's like yeah on the one hand it's like great and so fun to like get that feedback but on the other hand like you don't want too much of that uh like people going crazy because like if sierra farrell can't just walk through the hallways and i'd be and enjoy herself without like people just like swarming her then it's just no fun she wants to enjoy IBMA just like everybody else so just be cool just approach artists with like you know a level of like rationality like okay these people are just people they just want to have fun and be cool and chill but also they appreciate your support if I can't walk down the hallway at IBMA without like getting stopped a million times with like people who just want to fangirl or you know what I'm saying like, and I saw people trying to do that to, to uh, Sierra, and I just, I felt bad for her because she just wants to chill out and be cool. But, you know, there's a good balance, a good balance of both. And she's just there at the end of the day to sing a song with her friends. But you seem pretty cool. I mean, because I met you and you, you know who I am, but you're not like jumping up and down and screaming. You actually not didn't yet. even tell me you knew who I was whenever I first met you. You were just like, you walked up to one of my friends and you talked to my friends and you were going to walk off. And I was like, oh, hi, I'm the one who talked to you. That's, that's been too cool, right? That's the wrong way. Yeah. You don't know who I am? What? <laughs> you can't get it right. Which, which way is wrong? Too much or too little? I'll find the balance. Don't worry. I'll work it out. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. That was fascinating. Um, you know, the thing that uh, I took away more than anything from IBMA was what a family it is and what a wonderful sort of open, welcoming place where everybody's kind of there for the same reasons and there was very little actually of that people not being able to wander around and you know I saw Sierra when she arrived and she was surrounded by people a bit and it's just really interesting you know because it is I can't imagine many contexts where the biggest stars would be mingling with everybody like that so yeah it's really interesting to hear about that um, and I want to finish with somebody who is a star, like an unsung star of IBMA. I wanted to finish by talking to one of the volunteers that helped the event run. Um, I went up to the merch table, bought a t-shirt, and I chatted to a guy called Scott from Florida who was volunteering at the merch stall, and I wanted to hear from him, and we're going to finish with that um, because IBMA is a family, and I wanted to just hear from one of the people who isn't going to be kind of all over the social media or necessarily winning award or but is just such an integral part of what goes on there as are the hundreds of other volunteers um so yeah i'm gonna let scott tell you the final bit um and that'll be it for this ibma roundup can you just start by just telling me your name and where you're from uh, my name is scott crone we're from uh, flagler beach florida and you're working here as a volunteer this week what's the experience like being at ibma as a volunteer we are we volunteer at a lot of different uh Bluegrass festivals is a great way to meet people and be involved, immerse into the, the event. This is our first time here at IBMA and our first time volunteering, of course, at IBMA. And uh, 
It's extremely well organized and extremely friendly and extremely flexible in what our tasks are and where we want to be and where we can, can have our opportunities work. And uh, uh, it's, it's been so far been a wonderful experience meeting great people. And currently you're working on the merchandise stand. Have you been here? Is where you've been for the past few days? You're moving around quite a bit. We first started on registration, and it was, that was exciting because you get to see the uh, performers come in, and you can see familiar faces in the bluegrass world, of course. And then uh, uh, we've worked merchandise before at other festivals, and we saw that there was opening, and we enjoy it because of the transactional aspect of it. So we like we, it's been great here, and we'll be working. Um, at the merch tables at um, in the Red Hat Theater at nighttime, so we'll get the opportunity to listen to the groups there too as we're doing our job. That's really cool. It feels like um, this is my first time here, and just seeing the people attending and the artists and the people—it all feels like one. Feels like a family, and people say that, but it genuinely feels like from the directors down to the people who just come as fans. Everybody seems to be part of the same group. Is that the the experience of volunteering i mean it's well and the bluegrass genre and the bluegrass family is just that very inclusive i feel you know from the first time i started my interest in bluegrass was later on in life and uh from the first time i walked into a jam session it was extremely inclusive and that's i find that throughout our travels we're retired and so we get to travel to different festivals and different you know events and it's yeah it's exactly that it's a family it's a family affair i mean i felt very very welcomed it's my first time here and just people people go out of their way to make you feel at home it's a, it's wonderful yeah yeah i agree i agree thanks for taking the time to talk to me you bet thank you and that's it. I had a blast at IBMA. Um, it was such a great few days. And yeah, I mean, you know, all of what you've just heard is true. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. And I'm sure many of you will experience it. And I'm sure those of you who haven't would love to. Um, but that's it. I want to thank everybody at IBMA for giving me a wonderful time, making me feel part of it, and making me sort of realize um, that this podcast that I do isn't a thing that happens in isolation and that. I am part of this family and I'd sort of knew that like as an idea sort of intellectually before but when you go somewhere and you spend some time with the people that sense of belonging becomes a real thing and I felt it and it was marvellous so thanks to everybody at IBMA from the top down and the bottom up um, I will see you all next time have a great week and happy picking Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.